So we see in, in Luke 14 how, how things tend to function um, on earth compared to how things function in the kingdom of heaven. We might also see how we tend to operate in our flesh over against how the Lord wants us to operate in the Spirit. Um, Jesus is very bold in taking aim at the, the Pharisees and their heart motivations. At the same time, he really trains his sights on us and how we tend to operate in our flesh. Why is it that we so often are unable to notice other people and their needs? Uh, as, I, I, as I mentioned before I read the text, it's for several reasons. One, we're consumed with, with jumping through the hoops that we, that we ourselves have made. By, uh, we're, we're consumed with, um, with trying to follow social norms or people's expectations or, or man-made rules. And because we're consumed with that, we, we, just, we miss people. And this, this happened over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. We, we miss people because we're consumed with our own self-righteousness. We miss people also, as Jesus lays out in verses 7 through 11, because we're concerned with our own elevation, with our own status, whether that's you know accumulating friends or likes or whatever it is on social media, um, whether it's just con just making sure we conduct ourselves in such a way that people pay attention to us or or respect us, um, we, we're concerned with our own elevation. Um, that's that's how the world uh, tends to operate. That's how we operate in our flesh. Jesus makes a point to remind those here that this that's just not how his universe functions. He designed the universe, and it does not, the universe does not cater to self-exaltation. Just ask Lucifer. You don't lift yourself up. You go down, and that's the only way up. Um, but then in, in our text here, verses 12 to 14, Jesus notes that another reason that we tend to miss people, we, we are not attentive. Uh, to them is because we're looking for payback. And we're looking that for, for that payback in a variety of forms. Um, so, again, as we look at verses 12 through 24, we're going to be noticing how Jesus wants us to invite into our circle of friends, to invite into our houses, to, um, to connect with um on social media, whatever it might be, he's telling us to invite the poor and the disabled, the outcasts. Because remember, those who were disabled in Jesus's day would have been excluded from the temple and religious and social outcasts. Jesus says those are the people that you target, specifically. Um, because, as we see in verses 16 through 24, those are the people that God himself targets. So, in verses 12 to 14, we see 
Jesus calling us to, uh, to welcome, to invite the poor and the disabled. And Jesus specifically um, warns us against entertaining this fleshly tendency to always be looking for payback. And Jesus does that elsewhere in his teaching. You know, this is, this is what motivated the Pharisees. This is what made them tick, right? This is why they prayed, so that people could observe them. So they, they could get the payback of people's approval. That's status. This is why they associated with people the way they did in the marketplaces, even in the synagogues. They were always looking for the best place. You know, they were, all, they were social maneuverers. They wanted people to address them a certain way. They, they were looking for respect. They were looking to have their egos stroked, right? And, and Jesus, he was quite a discerner of spirits, and, and he could call that for what it was. Even those who were righteous and godly, I don't know that many of them could could just see right through people like Jesus did. Jesus saw what made the Pharisees tick. Um, and that's also what, what, what made the tax collectors and the Gentiles tick. Jesus said, he said, love the people that you can't get any kickback from because if you love people that love you, you're no better than anybody else. That's the way the world operates. Everybody out there walking on the street, they love people that love them back. That's nothing special at all. That kind of love is cheaper than dirt, <laughs> right? He says the tax collectors, they love the other tax collectors, you know, <laughs> they love their people. You know, the, the Gentiles, you know, the, the people who are outside of Christ, they love the people that love them. You know, that takes no intervention from the Holy Spirit whatsoever. It's like what Paul talks about in the book of Romans, chapter 2. He says, um, he says there's people that are religious, there's people that are non-religious, but they're all um, animated by this, this, um, this principle of, I'm going to get something for, for myself. Um, and so, so, so Jesus very clearly warns against that. When you, when you hold a party, don't invite your friends, those that run, you know, that run in your circle, those that you're close to. Don't invite your relatives and your immediate family or, or extended, and don't invite your rich neighbors. Now, Jesus here, he's, ta he's targeting our motivations because all these are people that might give something back to us. Now, Jesus's point is don't have friends and, and diss all your relatives. That's not the point. The point is his motivation. It is your motivation. Where is your heart? Are you looking to get some kind of kickback? Me? Where this passage hits me is if I'm scrolling through my emails and I see an email that's coming in from somebody and I have a hunch that they're going to say something that is, that's going to float my boat, that's going to make me feel good about myself. Boy, I'll, I'll click on that because, because no, that, that, that strokes my ego a little bit. It gives me a little dopamine hit. All right, bring it on. Give me a little more of that. Um, but, but what about the people that you get no kickback from? Um, 
So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that motivates us in our relationships? Uh, do we have an eye out for our social standing? Are we looking to make connections in the church, in society, on social media that enhance our reputation? Are we looking for associations that, that stroke our egos? Are we looking for associations that, that pad our, our wallets? Is that what motivates us? Jesus says, on the other hand, when you give a party, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Again, the religious, social outcasts, the people who could not give you anything back even if they, they wanted to. And Jesus says that it's a matter of faith. You don't need to look for repayment here and now. You don't, you don't need to look for any kickback here and now because you'll get it from Jesus. He'll take care of you on the other side. And he does talk about this elsewhere, doesn't he? Matthew chapter 25. He says, you, you, you tune in, you pay attention to those who are hungry. So you clothe the hungry, uh, give drink to the, or you, you give food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the poor and the sick, and you're doing it to Jesus. When somebody says, I'm thirsty, you can hear, it's, it's like you can hear your Savior on the cross saying, I thirst. And what you do for them, you do for him, and you, and you trust him that he will care for you and he will reward you in the end. Now, this was the motivation for Jesus' entire life and ministry. This is how he operated. He never looked for kickback in the here and now. Never. But for the joy set before him, he, was, he, he had his eyes continually peeled for those who were disadvantaged, for those who were disabled, for those who were outcasts. And eventually, they, they learned to have their eyes peeled for him. They're always coming running. They're always interrupting what he's doing, barging into his kingdom. <laughs> That's what he did. And, and, he, and he comes looking for us, doesn't he? In our poverty, in our destitution, what do we have to offer him? <laughs> what do we have that he could possibly want? We don't have anything that can make him any richer, that can enhance his status, you know? There's nothing. We're, we're the maimed. We're, we're the ones who, who have been disfigured uh, entirely by our sin. We are the lame. We're unable to, to move. We're immobilized and paralyzed by our sin, and we're unable to see. And he comes down, he scopes us out, and he says, those are the people that I want to spend my time with. I'm not concerned about my reputation. You know, he, ne he never was. I'm not concerned about my eagle, e ego. I'll empty myself. I'll lay it all aside. And these are the people that I want to associate with. The people that offer me nothing. And on the other side, what reward do I get? I get them. That's who I get. 
That's what I wanted in the first place. I want them. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's true that he comes to give you joy and peace, but, um, but heaven is for the other side of Jordan. The Holy Spirit comes upon you to drive you out into the wilderness. That's what he did to Jesus. He came down on him in his baptism and he drove him out into a place of uncomfortability, destitution, and pain. The Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus and he took him on a journey to a cross. So the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are not guaranteed a life of social status, respectability, of ego stroking, um, of, uh, of a padded income. But the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he opens your eyes to the needs of others. Look at Jesus. Jesus sees our need and it leads him on a path of immense and intense pain, but he gets us. Jesus says, you, when you throw your parties, when you make friends on social media, when you hang out with people, you make sure that you invite in those people that are cast out and I will pay you back. If Jesus says he'll pay you back, think you can count on that, Jamal? Think you can take that to the bank? <laughs> I'm sure you can. And the kind of payback you get, it's, it's not some cheap dopamine hit from somebody liking you or friending you or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not some, you know, something that you can spend at the dollar store or put in your bank account and lose it all when you die. It's not, you know, it's not reputation and respect that, you know, that vanishes the moment that you're six feet under. When Jesus says he's going to pay you back. Whatever you think about what he, how he's going to reward you, I'm, I guarantee you're underestimating it. He will pay you back. <laughs> and it'll be, it'll be beyond what you can imagine. So, so Jesus is calling for a reversal in how we tend to think in our flesh. We tend to have our, um, our, our eyes peeled for things that will, that will benefit us in some way, economically, socially, psychologically, something that will enhance me, something that will help me live my, my best life now, something that will make me comfortable, make me feel good about myself. Jesus says, you look, you look for those people that can't give you anything because I'm the, I will pay you back for whatever you give them. And that'll be an eternal reward. So somebody's tuning in to what Jesus is saying and, and he makes a comment. You know, the, the Gospels are, are fascinating. You know, Paul Miller makes the point that there's, there's nothing like the Gospels in ancient literature. In ancient literature, they're all talking about, you know, what this great king did or what this great general did, what great victory. Nobody talks about the life of the common man, but the Gospels, they're like a YouTube video. It's just kind of giving you clips of what happened in the life of 
of, of the Messiah, you know, the, the greatest person who ever lived, God in the flesh. So, so a guy kind of jumps in and makes an offhand comment at the table, and, and Luke catches everything. He interviewed somebody who was there, and, and he catches how Jesus replied. So this guy bursts out and he says, Blessed is he who's going to eat supper in the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't object. Those who eat supper in the kingdom of God are certainly blessed. But as he does over and over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus opens our eyes to see, and he, and he, and he shows this man, okay, I, 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 I don't object to what you're saying, but the kingdom of God doesn't necessarily run how you might think it runs. So let me give you some insight into how the kingdom of God operates. It doesn't operate according to the rules of the flesh. It doesn't operate according to societal norms. God is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he does not consult anyone as to how he's going to run his kingdom. Nobody's his counselor. He does what he wants in his kingdom. And Jesus pulls back the curtain and says, this is how things roll in, in my kingdom, in my Father's kingdom. And so he talks about how his father holds a party. And he says, you know, there's a certain man who represents the father. And he gives a great supper. He invites many people. Now, the first category of people, or the, the, those who, who he initially invites, are all of them preoccupied. They're preoccupied either with their riches or they're preoccupied with their relationships. And so we get, we get insight here in verses 16 through 20 into how God perceives those who are preoccupied with their reputations, with getting people to scratch their backs. This is how he sees them. First, there's th there are those that are preoccupied with their riches than those who are preoccupied with their relationships. And, and notice just how lame their excuses are. They get invited to, a, to an awesome party. Never been anything like this party. And, and what do they say? I bought a piece of land. Oh, come on. <laughs> like, there's no other time to see your piece of land. Really? Really? You bought a piece of real estate, and you have to look at it at exactly when we're having this, this great celebration. All right. Go, you go have fun with your piece of land. Then, I bought five yoke of oxen. I have to test them. Really? You've got to test them out right, right at dinner time. Sure. Great. You have fun with your oxen. We're, we're going to go party. I married a wife. Okay, and so, so what's your point? That's, that's your excuse, really? I mean, you, that's, what, that's what the master's thinking. Are you kidding? You're coming back with these inane, lame, nonsense excuses? I don't care about your ox. I don't care about your land. I don't care about you. I invited you to a party. It's a, it's a good party. And, and you want to spend your time doing this nonsense? Forget it. 
Don't come to my party if that's the way you're going to think. And this is the Lord's attitude towards those who are preoccupied with their riches and their relationships and have no time for Him. Read the Gospels. Jesus spends plenty of time talking about money, and and He doesn't talk about it in glowing terms. Remember the rich young ruler? Give up everything. Follow me. That's all I ask. He can't do it. What what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains all the wealth in the world and he loses his soul? I don't care if, if, if you've got $2 in your pocket. I don't care if you're Elon Musk. I don't care if you just, if you just made a deal with somebody and you purchased the world. You can't take it with you. You're going to barter that for your soul? Now think, of, think about the, um, the parable of the sower. The seed is the word. The plants start to grow up. And Jesus says, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, they come in and they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Then there's the rich man and Lazarus. We don't even know the rich man's name because, hey, it's, it's not recorded in heaven, so it's going to be forgotten forever. There he was. He had, a, he had a nice life. He fed in luxury, clothed himself with purple. He had a nice life. Ended up in hell, begging Father Abraham for just a drop of water to lessen his torment. And then there's the rich fool. I'm going to make myself bigger barns, bigger barns, bigger barns, bigger barns. You fool. This very night your life will be required of you. That's the picture of those, no matter how rich or poor they might be. It's not the size of your bank account that's the point. The point is your mentality. The point is the state of your heart. What are you preoccupied with? Are you preoccupied with accumulating things in this world? Whatever it might be. Whether it's a nicer iPod, a nicer yard, a nicer car, whatever it is. Is that what your mind, your heart, your soul are preoccupied with? Jesus says, you don't have time for me. I don't have time for you. You go enjoy those things. They're my gifts. But they all have an expiration date. And I won't be seeing you at my banquet. Then there are those that are, they are, that are preoccupied with their, um, with their relationships, right? Um, I married a wife. I remember talking with a fellow. If I let it sink in, it must be one of the saddest conversations I've ever had. We, he sat across from me in a diner. He said, Tim, you know, I have a girlfriend. And I've been thinking to myself that, you know, I could be damned for this. because She's not my wife. But I think I'm going to keep her. And he died just a, not long ago. Couldn't get over alcoholism. He's a man in the church. One of the saddest things I've, I've, I've ever heard. You hear about the, um, the Muslims or the Hindus. And the real issue with so many of them, why they won't leave their religion, is not that, um, that their religion itself keeps them, but it's their family. They can't turn their backs on their family. People are big. 
and God is small. And that's, that, that's the way we all are tempted and tend to operate in our flesh, right? People are big, God is small. I can't speak to this person about the gospel because I'm scared when it comes down to it of, of what they'll say. Um, our relationships with people loom larger than our relationship with, with the living God. So, so God looks at those who are, who are preoccupied, who, who don't have time, who um, kind of people that may kind of look at you condescendingly as you're handing out a tract and say, oh, okay, uh, don't have time for that, hand it out to somebody else. And he says, uh, none of those men who were invited, none of those men who were too busy, None of those men who were preoccupied with their riches and relationships, none of them will even taste of my supper. They won't even get a drop of water. It'll pass them by. Because they had their excuses. Note that the master was angry. God is angry every day. And this is the kind of thing that he's angry about. He's angry at millions in America preoccupied with their toys that don't have time for the living God. Was he not good enough? The sacrifice didn't cost him enough? He hasn't given you enough? Is that it? He's angry. He's furious. And he's determined that all those who are preoccupied with their stuff and with their, with their relationships, they, they will not taste the least part of his supper. So he turns around and he says, all right, guys, just run out and collect the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Just, just grab them. Bring them, bring, them into my, um, bring them into my party. And we find the exact same categories as Jesus tells us in verse 21, as Jesus told us in verse 13, to make a point to invite into your own house. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The social outcasts, the religious outcasts, those who, who can't give you anything back. And here's the striking thing about these people, is that these are the people that have the eyes to see what they're being offered. They can see Revelation 21. They get the offer, and it's like, they can see the foundation stones of that, of that new Jerusalem, each one a precious stone. They can see into that world where there's no, no more pain or crying or death or disease. They can see Jesus for who he is. He's the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He's going to be sitting, occupying that throne for all eternity. He's going to be the shepherd who's going to lead us by streams of the water of life and wipe every tear from our eyes. Somehow, these are the people, that the, the, the nobodies of this world, the, the people whose names are not, are not going to be remembered, maybe not even in the obituaries, let alone the magazines and you know, the, and the news, their names are not remembered here, but they're registered in heaven. Because somehow, they have eyes to see. 
And isn't this how it was when Jesus walked this earth? Isn't it? You know, there were people that were preoccupied with their social status. The Pharisees, the Sadducees. Guess what they did? They were so envious of Jesus for messing with their social status that they often. But the people that had no status, somehow they could see what Jesus was offering. And it wasn't just healing. He was offering them himself. He was offering them salvation. He was offering them wholeness for time and eternity. There were the poor, right? The blind man begging, who saw things more clearly than the highest religious authorities. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's this point in a, in a nutshell. You just put it into a capsule and swallow that and <laughs> take it home. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Can you think of somebody who is poor or maimed or lame or blind in the life of Jesus who, who rejected him? Very few. There was the one thief on the cross who was stripped of everything and turned away from the Lord. Maybe there were others. I can't think of any. Jesus, you know, in, in, in Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke, he simply says, blessed are the poor. And James says the same thing. It's the poor of this world that God has chosen to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. And so often, that's how it plays out. You know, when I go to these, these group homes for people with intellectual developmental disabilities, there are a few that will push back or they, that will avoid the message. But guess what? It's generally those who are the most intelligent and the most competent or see themselves as such. It's not the ones who are most destitute, most bereft of their, um, their abilities. There's a lady who, who says every time, come in for Bible study, I've got laundry to do. Um, there's another fellow, pr probably the, the most competent, intelligent man in, the, in this room of special needs people, some of whom are mute and lame, uh, incapacitated. And he sits there, able to interact, fairly sharp, sticks his headphones on. While the, while the Bible study is going on. Um, but, but you think of the life of Jesus, the, the, the maimed. You know, um, you know there's, there's a new song out. I think it's a decent one um, by, by Brandon Lake. It starts, starts by saying, Tear off the roof, the king's in the house. Just get me to Jesus. I don't care how. Um, and something about, I've got faith without a ceiling. Nice play on words. But, but there's this determination. There's a man who's maimed. Let's get him in. Get him to Jesus. Um, the lame. Remember, remember him having faith in the name of Jesus when, when Peter and John spoke to him? And there he is. He's dancing around in the temple. <laughs> he can't contain his joy. I mean, <laughs> he gets the attention of like half of Jerusalem um, because, 
because of his, his faith in Jesus. Remember the blind, you know, they're, they're there in Jericho and they start shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, shut up. The master is busy. No, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I'm going to interrupt everything. <laughs> I've got to get him. I've got to get in. That's been my experience, you know, working with people with, with, uh, with these, these disabilities. I think of this lady, Connie. I remember her telling, telling me once, and this really opened my eyes. These people with disabilities, they are quite aware of how society perceives them, treats them. I remember her telling me, Tim, they treat us like crap. But somehow she heard the message and she was determined, I want to get baptized. Somebody in the church said they didn't think that, that they could get black people into that church. Well, Connie said, I'm getting in. <laughs> She's an African-American lady. She came on in. She said, I'm getting baptized. Then she got cancer, went to be with Jesus. Then there was Elizabeth, um, joined the church recently. And she'll, she would tell you, she had some rough experiences in church. You know, they, they, they kicked her out of one church because of something that her uncle said, so she says. But um, and she would talk about how, how pe her family, people mistreated her all her life. But she knew Jesus isn't like that. She wanted to come on into the church. Um, I think about uh, Big Mike, we call him. Can't, can't get around, can't, can't walk very well. But man, when you begin to talk about Jesus, he just lifts his hands. You know, anymore, I just ask him to pray to start our Bible story, just because I want the privilege of, of having him help, me, help carry me to the throne of grace. I'd, ra I'd rather just listen to him and, and hang on his coattails a little bit. Or I think about Brenda. Man, if you guys could just meet Brenda. Um, I walk in to have Bible study, and she lights up. She said, hey, it's Pastor Tim. Never mind, I'm not a pastor. Here he is. And, and I say, okay, should we pray? She just starts praying, you know, <laughs> everybody else, you know, jumps in, you know, it's time, time to sing. She says, okay, here's our first song. Here's our second song. She's so eager to press into the presence of God. And, um, I'm sorry, remind me of your name. Oh, Dave. Dave. Daniel. Daniel. Okay. Yeah, you were saying God God gives grace to the humble. And you see it. At the same time, you know, that whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Yeah. 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 So so these people, they've exploited their situation spiritually. You know, they they have a situation where maybe their IQ isn't as high, or they don't have the full use of their limbs, but they exploit that by humbling themselves spiritually so that and, and if you have the eyes to see you can see God lifting them up right in front of your eyes you can see it they, they have a, a spiritual potency and vibrancy about them that I just want to hang out with them so it so it rubs off on me because it's like they can they can see across the river they can see Jesus there and I just want to get close to them because I think, I think they'll help me catch a glimpse as well. And there, there are the main, there's a, there's a man named CJ because of a congenital um, deformity. It's, it's difficult for him to articulate words. 
um, something has happened. I don't, I don't know, you know, exactly what it's called, but he can articulate enough so that when you ask him a question about the scriptures, I still remember him giving an answer clear as a bell: the Holy Spirit. He he's on it like, like white on rice. He's 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 on it with those answers. He loves loves to help assist me set things up um, for the Bible study. There's a, a man named Johnny. It's very difficult for him to articulate words. But when it's his turn to read a verse, he'll have a smile on his face and he will do the best he can, can to articulate each word that, that he is, is to read. There's Shelly. Shelly, again, has uh, some kind of deformity. I think they had to do some surgery on her face. But, but when you begin to sing, she gets this, this look on her face. She can't, she can't contain the joy. It's like <laughs> she's just shaking with excitement. Um, then there's Louise. She gets around in a wheelchair, um, but she was in a meeting, I think, with one of her um, managers or supervisors. She said, we've got to stop the meeting. Got to finish the meeting. Bible study time starting. Somehow, God gives grace to the humble. Somehow, God has chosen the poor of this world to be, to be rich in faith. So, so it's an unfinished story because what Jesus leaves us with is the master's orders to his servant. All right, go out into the highways and hedges and get them in here that my house may be, may be filled. And so this is a standing order. It's very interesting because it's, it's kind of an unfinished parable. Um, we're not given the the scene where the house is now filled and now we're ready to to commence the the dinner. This is where it stops. Go out and get them. And so, for one thing, we need to hear this invitation. Have you heard Jesus's invitation for yourself? You know, there's something about an invitation. It calls for an RSVP. You have been invited to this supper. And it's a great supper. So, would you think about if there is something that you are preoccupied with? Are you preoccupied with your possessions? With a habit? Is there, is there something in your life that is distracting you from Jesus? so that you're not seeing him as the one thing necessary. Whom have I in heaven but you besides earth? There's nothing I desire besides you. In your heart of hearts, are you saying, well, no, there is something I kind of want besides Jesus, or someone that I want besides Jesus, someone that I know in my heart is crowding Jesus out of his rightful place of number one. All right. Well, right now is your moment. Right now is your opportunity to say, Jesus, move those things aside. Jesus, move that person aside. Take up your rightful place on the throne of my heart. Reign there supreme. Nothing else is necessary. Just you. That's all I want. I want to be pure of heart. 
and just want you alone and see you. You know, RSVPing to this invitation is not complicated. You just have to, you have to do business with Jesus. It's, it's his invitation. It's not mine. It's not Mark's. It's, it's his invite. So you got to do business with him. You have, to, you have to tell him, Jesus, yeah, I want to take you up on this. I see that there's nothing more valuable in this world than you. You know, there's a lot of things. They're like static on the radio that, that try to crowd out my attention. You know, there's been things that are vying for my attention, even, even during worship here. But, but Jesus, I want to tune into you. I want to send your Holy Spirit so I can tune into your frequency clearly. You are what I want. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You are what I want. Lord, I want to go to your supper. Give me a heart that is not preoccupied, that is tuned in and concentrated on you alone. Now, if that's happened, if you have sent him your RSVP, then you become, um, you become a servant. It's your business to go out and Go to the highways, beat the hedges, make sure everybody gets an invitation because the book of Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you'll meet some people that are preoccupied with the things of this world. But make sure as you're going to invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Make sure that you have the faith to do that. What can they do for you? How impressive will they look in your church? Well, that's not the point. How will they enhance your social media reputation? Irrelevant. How will they stroke your ego? Doesn't matter. You look for the people. You, you make a point to the, look for the people that cannot pay you back. Didn't Jesus do that? Hey, he, he looked for us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, think uh, I, I don't know what what do I have to give? Do I do I think I'm in some kind of hall of fame or something? No, Jesus went went looking for the dregs, people like me. He went looking for the dregs, and then he calls them jewels. So he says, "Go and do likewise." Look, at, look for the people that are religious outcasts, social outcasts, disabled, who have nothing to offer. Because, hey, that's what the gospel is, right? The gospel is Jesus gives you himself, the whole world, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, and you give him your sin. That's the deal. And so, and so the people that already have next to nothing, they're great candidates because they're in a position, as you were saying, Dan, of humility where they, they might just, from that low position, have the, ha, have the spiritual eyes to see, hey, guess what? I have nothing to give, but he's, at, he's not asking anything. He has everything to offer me. There's no, the world doesn't offer deals like that. So forget this world. I'm going for Jesus. 
Make a point in your sharing the gospel, in your evangelism. Go hunting for the people that are poor, maimed, lame, and blind. And, you're, and you will find um, that faith is necessary to look for them because um, you need to have the faith that God will pay you back for anything that you do for them. Sometimes it may feel like a drag. You know, what am I getting out of this? Is this any use? But you have to have, to have the faith to see. Whatever you do to them, you do for Jesus. And Jesus is no man's debtor. But, but the other thing that you'll find is that these people who are poor, maimed, lame, and blind, they, they, they make great company. <laughs> Those are the kind of people you want to hang out with anyway. The humble of this earth. Um, you know, I, I go and hang out with people at the Ark. They've invited me to a couple of their parties. They know how to party. There's a, there's a nearby church. They have a monthly event called Friends for Life. They invite disabled people to come. They, they have a, there's a guy in the congregation who's a DJ. And, uh, and that, that's what he does for work. And he says that's his favorite thing to do every month. because <laughs> They know how to party. You know, they're uninhibited. They have genuine joy. <laughs> They just go out on the dance floor. They have a good time. They're good company. Um, you know, so often we who may may have um, more of our faculties, perhaps a bit higher IQ. We don't have a visible dis- disability. We can have all kinds of hangups and inhibitions and and issues. It's time for us to go and. Hang out with the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Because so often, like James says, like Jesus says, they're the ones who are blessed. And, um, and it's a blessing that's contagious. And, to, and it's a great preparation for that supper. Because we don't have a record in this parable of any of these people turning down the invitation. In G, while, as Jesus is giving advice for us to go and find them, he says, you have the faith to go and see them, that I'll pay you back. In the, in the parable, there are examples. Because they all take them up on the invitation. So, um, those are the people that are populating the kingdom of God. It's true in the parable. It's true in the life of Jesus. It holds true, um, in my experience, in society around us. I'm sure you've seen it, Dan, um, Jamal. We've, we've seen this in our lives. We've seen that that God chooses the poor of this world. And um, thank God he does. And uh, when he does, he makes some good company, even on this side of heaven, because, you know, Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, gives us a taste of that supper even now. So, amen.